Well, a big thanks to the two Johnnies in Africa for driving us through the afternoon. It is Friday, November 10th. I am Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On. Coming up between now and 7pm, Kenny Cunningham is in studio to preview this year's FAI Cup final as Bows and Pats are set to face off in front of a record attendance on Sunday. Tony O'Donoghue will be dialing in from Tallis Stadium at the League of Ireland promotion relegation playoff to chat. FAI governance. Boxing journalist Kevin Byrne chats National Elite Finals and Jane Mangan previews the weekend racing. As always, if you want to have your say, you can text us on 51552. Game on on 2FM. Yes, good evening. Happy Friday. Hope you're keeping safe and well. Welcome along to the show. Kenny Cunningham is alongside me. Kenny, how are you, sir? All good. All good, Shane. Good. Looking forward to a cup final this weekend. Oh, I can't wait. In some respects, I think it's almost the biggest. It is the biggest day of the uh, season in terms of uh, for League of Ireland football stroke yeah. electricity. But yeah, it seems a bit bigger than that. It always has. You know, I don't think it's just about the. Am I talking too much here? You're looking for about no. ten seconds off. No, here. no, no. Going. no we're going to we're going to we're going to get into detail, Kenny. I don't think I'll be ever <laughs> able to talk across you. So don't you worry. No, it is. It's a showpiece event, and it's going to be a record attendance. So. Yeah, it is, and it's and not. It's, well, I suppose the point I was going to make is I don't think it's just solely about the two teams. They'll be well supported. Huge mm. uh, numbers will come from St Pat's and Bohemians, but you'll get a fair chunk of pe- people, League of Ireland supporters as well, who just like you know, just kind of traditionally kind of put themselves out and always make. Uh, always make it down for the day something mm. uh, yeah it's a nice feeling nice Absolutely. feeling around the game and this this year in particular you know the surge we've had in attendances in the league a lot of feel good fact a lot of positivity around the place and it just feels it's all culminating yeah. in this game Sunday Absolutely cannot wait for it right you're going to stick around Kenny you're going to preview that in detail and you're going to be chatting Premier League alongside uh, Fergal Brennan as well but we can cross uh, to Tallis Stadium where Tony O'Donoghue is standing by Tony is at uh, Waterford Cork in the promotion relegation playoff but Tony um, firstly the news story that that's kind am of am I talking too much said Kenny Cunningham <laughs> am I talking too much <laughs> kettles and pots Tony kettles and pots exactly <laughs> lads I, got, I have to be strict on time here because we need to get in we've we've only got an hour to go we've only an hour show I, I remember when I was doing leave insert French il va son dire I had one phrase it goes without saying that you're talking too much Kenny Cunningham it also goes without saying that I'm pulling the short straw here here I am once again in Tallis Stadium car park looking forward to a, a big game a massive game particularly if you're uh, a Cork City fan yeah. I might as well uh, add <laughs> and uh, instead I get the short straw to talk about governance issues in the FAI I know. obviously the cup final on Sunday at the Aviva looking forward to that as well tonight's game is massive for Waterford and Cork uh, and for the health of the, the league in general because you know either or both of these teams deserve to be in terms of their history and tradition for sure in the Premier Division but only one of them will make it so massive massive game and yet let's talk about governance shall I we? know <laughs> I know unfortunately unfortunately and it, well, I suppose let's call it spade, spade. it's unfortunate news um, like I suppose rounded up first Tony the, the FAI EGM last night to try and implement gender quotas it, it didn't pass the, the required uh, number of votes yeah there was a high bar though it needed 75% majority like uh, a lot of votes are a simple majority uh, or a two thirds majority 75% is a high bar and I think it got to 68% so the motion was defeated the motion is about uh, you know increasing the gender quota on the FAI board to a minimum of 40% uh, of females on, on the board and you know the thing is you know, you can paint this as oh the FAI don't want to have women on board it's not that uh, 
all of the national governing bodies for all the associations have been asked by the end of the year to try and increase uh, the female representation in leadership roles. Uh, the FAI are one of them, but of course, in the background to the FAI, uh, they received a government bailout in 2020. They had to sign an MOU, which is a memorandum of understanding at that time, uh, where they agreed to you know certain governance issues. And this was one of them. Uh, and so there was the EGM last night. Uh, and at the EGM, uh, it, the proposal to have uh, to increase the board size from 12 to 14 with a split of seven from the football arena, if you like, and seven independents, uh, that didn't make the 75%. So, you know, there's been a lot of reaction uh, to that, political reaction in particular. Uh, Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for uh, Public Expenditure and Reform, uh, he's a big football fan. He made it very clear today he's a Bohemians fan and he'll be at the Aviva uh, on Sunday. But he urged the FAI to have a, a rethink. And Thomas Byrne, who's the Minister for Sports, stressed that failure to achieve the 40% gender quota will have serious funding implications. And from a cash-strapped organisation like the FAI, that's very, very significant. So I think I made the point, other NGBs, national governing bodies, like even the IRFU, the GAA, uh, they have a way to go as well. Uh, but some progress, significant progress, to be fair, has been made. The Premier Clubs Alliance, uh, they came out this afternoon in support of what the FEI were trying to do last night. And, you know, it's in their interest. They made it clear there's a dire need for, for investment for financial investment. We've been talking about improving facilities in the League of Ireland. That's going to require government buy-in. So no one is against the gender quota per se, but it's about, I think, uh, the balance of power within the FAI boardroom uh, going forward. The PCA support this 7 and 7 of uh, football people and independents, and they're proposing a new vice president role to be uh, a female role. So that, as I understand it, would mean that there would be two vice presidents. And the Leinster FA weren't allowed to put forward their proposal last night. They also say they fully support gender balance, but they proposed going from 12 on the board to 14 with two additional female directors uh, from the football community uh, and they're now looking for an EGM to ratify that on the 2nd of December which would be a week before the AGM and you know the AGM is on the 9th of December and you'd like to think and hope that this will be sorted by them because it is taking all the attention away from what's happening here in Tallaght tonight on the field mm. and what's going to happen on Sunday in the Aviva Stadium which is a shame really. Tony I know uh, we're under time pressure you've television duties but I can't uh, let you go without just uh, mentioning terribly sad news actually Cork football great Maya Dennehy one of Leaside's most loved footballers has uh, sadly passed away aged 73 this afternoon Yeah Maya is you know immortal in Cork football legend I have to say uh, Kenny won't believe this, but slightly before my time, but he was the first player to score a hat-trick in an FAI Cup final in 1972, uh, helped Cork Hibbs win the league title in 1971 after a 20-year lapse. Uh, he played for Nottingham Forest and many others uh, across Channel. He was a Republic of Ireland international. He was such a funny guy, a real character. And, uh, you know, you know, it's... He, he, the game lacks characters these days. Some people might say uh, Maya had it all. He was he was from the north side of Cork. Uh, he, you'd meet him on the street, and he'd chat with you uh, before a, a sad accident he had a few years ago. Uh, and he will be a huge loss, uh, a football immortal in in Cork terms. Maybe he'll give some inspiration to the players on the field tonight here in Tala. Absolutely. Are Cork going to do it tonight, Tony? In a word. 
you know, it's going to be so, so difficult. Uh, people are saying that what, like, that feels like a no. That feels like a no. The best. I, I, I'm, I'm coming around. <laughs> Tala is the best stadium and the best, the best surface in the country. Uh, and Waterford might, might, might appreciate that a bit more. But I have to say, probably my favourite game of the season. Maybe Kenny was there. It was here. Uh, Shamrock Rovers against Cork City. It was certainly the most exciting game of the season. It finished four all. It was absolutely end to end brilliant stuff. Uh, Cork will have no fears of Tala if they perform anything like they did on that night. I think we're going to be all right. If I was a Cork City, I'd probably be a worried man listening to that. <laughs> this is those words from Tony O'Donoghue. Tony O'Donoghue, you've television duties to go to. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. Um, well, it will be right. interesting. You gave the opportunity, didn't you, to give to get behind this Cork City team, I and had, he, ju- he wilted. I know, I know. I, and for I know it was a great game, but perhaps Strada Shell's last game of the season was a bit more exciting, Kenny. But I don't know. <laughs> Who am I to say? Who am I to say? How do you see this one going, Waterford Cork? Now, nah, to be honest, to be fair to Tony, I understand. I think he's kind of not sitting on the fence, but I don't think it's an easy call. Mm. Um, Cork, to be honest, which are in a difficult situation, you'd argue the league position, you know, it's been difficult for them all season. Change of manager there, obviously, it's been a struggle for them. So, big job uh, on the shoulders. Their interim manager there, Richie, Richie uh, Holland, Holland yeah. coming in. But uh, look, although it hasn't been back to back victories, it hasn't been a huge up spike in terms of uh, points. Just get the sense of like he's pulled the dressing room together. And that's important because they're coming up against a dangerous uh, Waterford team, mm. scoring a lot of goals. Ronan Coughlin, in particular, obviously, we know is kind of pedigreed uh, at the highest level. So I think it is a, a tough call. I mean, obviously, I've got, unlike Tony, I wouldn't be kind of uh, biased in any uh, direction. It would be a shame, I'd have to say, to see Cork uh, drop out of the league. We spoke about the league, how it's kind of grown, the, the amount of interest uh, in the game. And you want to see, you know, Cork City, you just feel as if the league without Cork mm. City, you know, it's not quite the same. And not, not only Cork City being in the league, but actually getting stronger and actually challenging uh, up the top end of the table. And Cork, of course, you can make the same argument to an extent for war, for great football and tradition. And yeah, it would be great to have them both. Are we making an argument here for expanding the league? Yeah. Shane, is that what we're doing? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm all for going, it. Going forward, I'm yeah. I'm all for yeah, it. Yeah, Limerick on the up. Now, Kerry, we've got the team that the, potentially the, maybe another four or five. spread. Yeah. I'm all, always for that in terms of, yeah. like, if we had a strong Limerick, we've got always slide Go over back. Finn Harps. Like yeah. Kerry, the introduction of Kerry, and hopefully that will continue to grow. Uh, haven't been down to Mount Hawk, Mount Hawk Park even. That's um, that's on the bucket list. That's on the bucket list. <laughs> and final one on, on just on the, on the on the promotion relegation, like Cork, bottom of the table. Yes, they're the Premier Division side. I think they're the, the bookies' yeah. favourites as well. But they've lost a lot of matches. This seems like a very simplistic question. Whereas Waterford have won a yeah. lot of matches. Now, yeah, granted, right. it's again different opposition. But like that psychology, form, yeah, coming yeah, that's into exactly it. what it is. Yeah, that's exactly what. That's from saying why it's so important. The kind of. Uh, the atmosphere within that Cork dressing room and the job that uh, their young manager has had is is not an easy one, but it's an important one. They need to be bouncing onto the pitch of uh, Tala this evening, kind of in conf- uh, with a lot of confidence. And I'm sure it'll be positive in the dressing room before the game, but what the fear will be amongst the, the Cork City uh, supporters potentially if they go a goal behind mm. and maybe that bit of fragility in terms of kind of confidence kind of uh, bubbles to the bubbles to the surface so that's what I'm sure the, the manager has been resting with over the past uh, couple of weeks so yeah it will be very interesting I think it is a very tough call for those uh, uh, particular reasons so I'm looking forward to it I had a I'm still in between 
Can you pay out the gate days? You still I, can't hand over your cash, can you? Uh, I think I, I'm heading back to the mass to watch it on the telly. I have to. I mean, you usually can. Usually can. I've had. I've been torn away from Tower Park this year, like you know, with me hard earned money, and you know we don't take no cash. Why can't you take cash? Because there's been a 438 percent rise in attendances at Talca Park since 2016. Right, I'm putting a pitch forward. Nobody should turn up at the League of Ireland ground next year and be torn away with hard earned cash in well, their hands. Well, I tell you what, that leads into infrastructure, facilities and funding and what happened yesterday as well and and I do on on it's, I know we're, we're kind of having a laugh but I do implore anyone that, that's involved in football that is playing a match tomorrow or on Sunday at any level or if you have a boy or a girl uh, that you're bringing to a football match to ask your club to ask your league what way they voted uh, in terms of accountability for this uh, because it is going to affect funding uh, large scale sports infrastructure funding sports capital funding core funding as well for, for football not just the League of Ireland for football across the board so it's a very serious issue that I think does have to be addressed and then you won't have to turn anyone away because all the grounds will be getting done up, Ken. <laughs> However, so it's going to be a cracker in Talla and we're hoping for a cracker on Lansdowne Road on Sunday or will it be a, a tetchy affair? Oh, tetchy. Um, yeah, tetchy is in terms of the rivalry between the uh, the football clubs. Yeah, absolutely. But no, I, I'd be massively disappointed and surprised if we don't see a high-quality game of football. And I base it on the fact of the quality of the teams and the individual talent, mm. Shane, that's going to be on the on display. I mean, I look at that, take Bowes for example. It's been a kind of disappointing finish, maybe second half the season for them, finish uh, sixth in the table. But I look at the quality in their team, particularly that kind of central midfield and forward areas of the pitch. We know Jonathan Affleby's in fine season, 15 goals. But I look at that Bowes midfield. For me, it's as good as anything in the league. Keep up, unfortunately, won't be available. He'd be a big miss in terms mm. of personality on the pitch. I understand that. But you look at young James McMahon, it's as good as anything, 18 years of age in that central midfield area. What an absolute uh, talent. Mm. Adam McDonald and Jordan Flores in there as well. James Clark. I'm a huge fan of him. He's been asked to play in a kind of number 10 position second half of the season. Probably in the player of the season for me for the dissect the season in two. What a talent that oh, lad really? is. Oh, yeah, lovely player. That's a big call. Yeah, no, I love him, to be honest with you. I saw him play initially, came into the Bowes team in an orthodox mid, uh, central midfield position, looked totally comfortable, box to box. Mm. They've pushed him up a little bit for the number 10 position. I wasn't sure. That's a big ask. And he's, he's, he looks natural there, receiving the ball in the half turn, quick fee, head up, awareness, absolutely fantastic. And the quality bows having that central midfield kind of forward areas of the pitch, you know, gives them real hope, regardless of, say, form going into the final. That alone gives them real hope. And Pats, I mean, last time I saw Pats was the game. I've seen Pats a lot, obviously, this year and the last couple of years. But the young talent they have within that squad now. Uh, Shane, forget about being a Pat supporter, any supporter of League of Ireland. Mm. I mean, it gives you a lift. Front to back in that team. Sam Court is, you know, 17, 18 uh, years of age. Mason Melly is 16. Uh, Keane Levy's come in, I know he's 21 years of age. Adam Murphy. Mm. It goes on and on. Jay McGrath kind of sent the half. Alex now there's other players on the periphery. What a wealth of young talent in that uh, Pats team. That's why Pats will go into this cup final with a bit of confidence. You could argue maybe a little bit of inexperience. How those young players deal with the, the occasion? I think that's a fair comment. Same could be said about Bowes. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a little bit more battle-hardened in terms of the age profile, that kind of Bowes team. 
even past like Joe Redman for me the best defender mm. of the league 23 years of age that's all he is Jamie Lennon probably and, and a natural leader as well for yeah, such a oh, young, absolutely. young leader yeah in terms of performance everything you know but they haven't Jamie Lennon there sent 25 years of age you know still the best years from, from him to come Con Carthy's come in and done great for them hard up the pitch Tom Lonigan as well it's only going to get better and better with good coaching down there so I think actually forget about the game just in isolation of the game Sunday Pats for me kind of going forward this is a Pats team that's got to be challenging for me kind of next year for a league title and even Bowes as well you still have six position Bowes are miles, miles up I don't think they are for the reasons that I've said yes they need to <coughs> Yeah, strengthening certain areas and that squad has to you know, improve in, in terms of squad depth but I don't think Bows are too far away we know how strong Derry are it's a disappointment Derry haven't challenged mm. uh, this season so I think yeah let, we'll all concentrate we'll enjoy the, the cup final uh, Sunday regardless uh, who wins and I will and you know, I haven't got particular allegiance to either team Bows obviously I grew up around the corner for them I'd love to see him win in certain respects I haven't had a trophy f- for such a long period of time but I'm a big fan of uh, Pats as well although they're technically the other side of the river, Shane. Technically, the wrong side of the river. <laughs> <laughs> for you and me, Kenny. Yeah, for you and yeah, me. <laughs> but I, yeah, but I like the club. There's good ownership there. I think they're in good hands. I like the way they're running. I always enjoy myself uh, when I go over there to support. There's great atmosphere inside the uh, stadium. Talk about Cork in terms of iconic stats within the league. Shells, uh, Pats are obviously another one. Mm. So you drop shells in there as well, Shane. Didn't even mean to. because <laughs> you're looking at me, Kenny. <laughs> I've yeah, seen so you look, down in Tulka Park once or twice this year. There's no getting away from that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Funny enough, I was in with the passports behind the goal at the at the game a few weeks ago at Talca Park. I enjoyed that, but yeah, look, I'm really looking forward to the game for those reasons. I think, yeah. and uh, do you know what, uh, Shane? I, I hope we that's the whole focus after the game is the game and the quality yeah. which we've seen on the pitch. I hope there's none of any kind of shenanigans in the lead up or after the game, which has been the case on a number. Not just talk about these two teams. We don't need any of that. I think every individual has got to take responsibility at the weekend for himself and for the immediate circle of people around them and stay away from all that rubbish that goes on occasionally in and around these high-profile games. This game is too important to kind of the eyes of the... I wouldn't say the eyes of the world, but it's, it's a huge occasion. You feel this game kind of really matters almost in terms of for the league kind of going forward to build on what's happening within the league. So, yeah, hopefully that'll be the case. Yeah. Not to say a turning point, but given that it could be, that it is set to be a record attendance for, for any final in the history of, of FEI Cup finals, does that kind of just typify how far the league has come and, and the growth and the, the goodwill and the good feeling around it this year? Yeah, it does. I think it's the obvious example of it. You can kind of talk about it and we all see, you've seen it, Shane, obviously, you know, you're... Uh, uh, hardcore share. I see it like I drift around and watch as many games as I can. You can sense it, and you've sensed it there for a while. Certainly this season, last season, something's happening. Mm. There's something happening. You can sense it around it, and yeah, you can see it in the crowds, big attendance and stuff like that. But I think it's more than that. There's real buy-in from from people. Like there's a real kind of almost a conscious decision. You know what I mean? The Premiership where that's going, money, Saudi, all of that, that that kind of stuff. I think people are kind of looking at their football now and looking a little bit kind of closer to home and we're seeing that in terms of uh, people getting behind their kind of local club. There's a real kind of appetite for League of Ireland uh, football at the moment. So you're right, we have to tap into that and we can do that. This is a great opportunity at the weekend, the biggest occasion of all. You know, 45,000 people. I don't know who I'm delighted for, the players, uh, the managers, walking out into that. These players, like some of these players, you know... 
will have played a long period of time in League of Ireland football, maybe been through it during the bad days. Keith Buckley, I mentioned the Bohemian's experience that he's had over the past kind of 10 years. Unfortunately, he won't be able to experience that as a player. He'll be part of it, of course. But wow, what an experience for those players. What a, an honour it is to walk onto that pitch and get that type of reception when you yeah. walk on that energy, apt, positive energy, which will kind of just kind of almost spark them as they walk onto the pitch and hear it. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait. We don't do know where I'm sitting. Do I don't know. I've got a ticket, but I don't know where it is. VIP, yeah. Kenny. That's no, no, no. Oh, no, no never VIP. No? No, no, I'll be with the hard card. Just thought I'd be, me, me pal got the ticket some time ago. I just don't know where it'll be. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Five 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 two two scarves. Half and half scarf. Yeah, we do have to take a break, but who's going to win? You haven't predicted who's going to win. I don't know. You don't know? No, I read. Do you know what? Break it down. I'm not going to talk too much more. You know, you probably we have to give Pat the advantage if you look at a kind of uh, Coley forensically mm. you, you, you'd say Pat's are the, the favourites to win it but oh got that got that little bit of a good feeling Bowers, Bowers. yeah got that little bit of a you're getting in, dirty in looks pit- from our producer John who's a, a Pat's fan so uh, no fair play it's yeah. an honest opinion John let's not fall out <laughs> over it let's not fall out over it well, listen, if Pat's doing, I, I think I'm right in saying Shelburne might get a European spot. I'm not too sure on that. I'm not too sure on that. We have to take a break, Kenny. We have to take a break. We're chatting more football at the company of Kenny Cunningham and Fergal Brandon. We're going to chat Premier League in a few moments. Stay with us here on Game On 2 FM. RTE 2 FM. Game On. Football. Now, you're very welcome back to Game On. We're chatting football in the company of Kenny Cunningham and Fergal Brennan. And Fergal Brennan, I'm going to invite you into the conversation. And we are going to start with talking about Brighton-Sheffield United. And the reason why is because Evan Ferguson has signed a new contract with Brighton, which ties him to the club until 2029. So, good news for Evan Ferguson and indeed good news for Brighton, Fergal. Yeah, good news for all involved. Um, It's a kind of recognition of the, the progress that he's made over the last 12 months and Look, everybody knows how how important he is for Brighton, how important he already is for Ireland in terms of um, his position in the team, his position in the squad and and some of the expectation that's been loaded onto his shoulders. Uh, I think he's dealt with it all quite brilliantly. Um, He's been praised for his maturity and the way that he's dealt with the media and the way that he's dealt with the the hype and the pressure that's been put onto him. Um, And I think this is a, a fantastic statement from Brighton of saying, look, we're well aware that there is a chance in six months or 12 months time that a big bid comes in for for him from a, from a Champions League team but we want to guard ourselves they've got a good reputation for making sure they get top dollar for their star players and that seems to be the situation with Ferguson that's not to do Brighton down and say that they can't retain him in the in the medium term um, but I think in terms of maybe two years time if, if he continues on the curve that he is we'll, we'll be having a different conversation about him I still believe he's in the perfect place to continue this stage of his development and demonstrate that he is a Premier League striker um, fantastic news I, th- I think everybody is delighted and you look at some of the promos that the club have put out about him he's beaming he's, he's so pleased and he'll be looking forward to hopefully getting himself a goal this weekend as a footballer Kenny being tied down on that kind of secu- having the security <laughs> of, of a contract as well that, like you know genuinely that, that must be a nice feeling that you're, you're, you're sought after that much yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make take a big gamble here and suggest that uh, Evan Ferguson may not see out that contract in 2020. I don't know what Fergal thinks about that, but it would be interesting, Fergal. Though in terms of the contract, this is good news from Brighton's point of view for me more than uh, uh, 
uh, Evan Ferguson to a large extent. But I'd be, I'd be amazed if there's if uh, uh, Evan's uh, representatives have negotiated a, a get-out clause in there at some point, whether it's two or three years down the line, where there's not a figure there, 50, 75 million, whatever it is, mm. if a bid comes in, that the power is taken away from the club and then it'll be a decision for Evan to make. You saw Cassiedo in the last transfer window, Johnny wasn't linked to Arsenal. Mm. Arsenal desperately wanted him, but he couldn't He couldn't make the move happen, Cassiedo, could it, because he hadn't got that kind of get-out uh, clause in there. So I'd be very surprised if behind the scenes, we probably won't hear about it, if there isn't that kind of get-out. It gives Evan Ferguson an option, potentially. He's not tied in there. He's not totally at the behest of Brighton Football Club, whether he moves or not, within the next kind of five to six years. Mm. Certainly will be interesting. I think Bohemians fans will certainly be hoping for that big money move and the uh, <laughs> the, the money that might come with it. Um, Fergal, I know you covered it, the Liverpool and Everton beat. So Liverpool uh, are hosting Brentford. How much can we read into the uh, the Europa League defeat and the response that we might see at the weekend? I think, obviously, the, the turnaround in terms of getting back to the UK, getting maybe a little bit of training session this morning and, and then preparing for the game this weekend, I think given the amount of changes that will be made from one eleven to the other will kind of demonstrate how much we can read into it. Uh, they, they were poor last night. Obviously, there's so much focus on the, the decision right at the end. I think it was the fifth or sixth minute of added time. They score and it gets pulled back and pulled back. And again, we're talking about VAR. But I think given the fact that there is normally quite a big change in terms of the players that are used in the Europa League compared to the Premier League, I don't think we can jump down too much of a hole and, and make an assessment of, of what we'd expect from Liverpool in the Premier League. They're effectively still over the line in terms of qualification in the Europa League, despite that result last night. Um, and there will be changes. The, the issue with, with Brentford, you, you almost kind of don't know what you're going to get from them this season. They've been poor in certain games and when they're bad, they're bad. But when they're up for it and it clicks, and Thomas Frank, I'm a big fan of him in terms of the way he sets Brentford up to to play against the, the so-called bigger sides, the top four, the top six, I think this will be a really interesting game this weekend because Liverpool, given the fact that they've got a couple of absentees, McAllister's banned and there's a few injuries, I think Klopp wants to get to the international break, kind of get some of his players back in training that are not away with international teams and then go again at the end of November. I do want to pick your brain on Chelsea, Man City, Fergal, but before I do, uh, Kenny, you were kind of making the point of uh, Manchester City are top of the table now after a couple of other teams have dropped some points. Is this when we see perhaps City now just press on? They're, they're, they're at the top now and can kind of drive on and show their, their strength. Yeah, I think that's the perception out there at the moment after back the results last week with the chase of pack dropping points, uh, Arsenal uh, and Spurs and Liverpool, of mm. course, and obviously they've just... Uh, Manchester City have made it to the top and there's a presumption out there just they'll stay ahead now and kind of go ahead. So it's up to the teams below. Fergus mentioned Liverpool there as well. They have to bounce back. Spurs are away to Wolves. Uh, tomorrow, Arsenal home to Burnley. Just mm. can't you can't drop points in these circumstances. Even Liverpool, I'd suggest. Although I'd say uh, for the reasons Fergal mentioned there, they probably have the most dangerous game tomorrow against Brentford. He spoke about kind of uh, Frank's tactical news generally against the top six. He kind of reverts to a back three. Watch Brentford play uh, last week against uh, West Ham. Very dangerous team. Mm. The pace of Embueno and Wissa on the on the counter attack as well. You know they're a tough, physically imposing team, but they have good quality as well, particularly on in quick transition. So. Yeah, it's a it's a big game for them. They have to stay in their coattails. It's as simple as that to uh, to chase and pack. And I, I, all of those teams for me have to almost make a statement of intent tomorrow and win those games that I've just mentioned. Well, it's certainly going to be difficult. Will Chelsea concern Manchester City from what we've seen um, from Chelsea against Spurs or was that just kind of a once-off freak incident, Fergal? 
No, I don't. Think, I don't think they'll be concerned for for a few different reasons. They'll, they won't be concerned primarily because they're Manchester City, and I, I don't think really anybody keeps Guardiola uh, up at night in terms of what they might do to his team when they're in this type of form. I think because of the situation in the Champions League now, they can kind of power down in that and just focus on the Premier League between now and, and January. They're obviously out of the DFL Cup as well. I think with Chelsea, in a similar way to as I mentioned with, with Brentford there before, you still don't know what's going to happen in, in any given game. Even the Spurs game last Monday, which was bizarre because of the red cards and the VAR decisions, etc. It still took until injury time for them to see them off. Spurs had nine players on the pitch and all of them were standing on the halfway line and still Chelsea were, were missing chances. They were putting balls wide of the post. They were, they were doing their best to kind of keep Spurs in the game. And I think when you come up against someone like Manchester City, who are just a machine in these sorts of situations, that lack of a real razor sharp edge, I do like Nicholas Jackson, I think he'll get better and better, but Man City wait for nobody. They, they won't wait for you to get up to speed. They'll just win and just roll on to the next game. And I think all of the teams that are in and around them in, in the title race will be looking and planning to kind of see when they can just focus on the Champions League. Arsenal are not quite tied up there in terms of getting into the last 16. That'll put a little bit more pressure on them. But as for City and as for Guardiola, that's job done. On to the next one, which is defending the Premier League title. And I think I think they really could go to town on Chelsea this weekend. For the other team in Manchester, Fergal, is Luton at home the perfect fixture for a club in crisis? Uh, <laughs> yes and no. United have, have demonstrated a really strong ability to mess up when they've been presented with a so-called perfect chance to, to get themselves back on track. Uh, Fulham last weekend, it took right until the end for Bruno Fernandes to get that goal. Even against Copenhagen after Rashford got sent off, they, they still were in the ascendancy and it looked like they were going to kind of get over that setback and win and then they shot themselves in the foot and then they shot themselves in the other foot and I, even with Luton who we saw against Liverpool last weekend they can be resilient and, and work hard and, and cause a little bit of a shock every now and again Manchester United still they have so many issues on the pitch off the pitch I, I think Eric Ten Hag is, is starting to feel the pressure as much as the reports are saying that he's not going to be sacked and, and the board are not considering his position I don't think that's 100% true I don't think it'll happen immediately but there is frustration at the club that last season's progress hasn't really been built on this season um, I think given the quality of certain individuals in that team mean they'll they'll scrape through this one and they'll beat Luton but that says more about Luton's level than United's recovery um, but they, they also need this international break to regroup Eric Ten Hag needs to assess what he wants from his players between now and Christmas because they've got some really important games coming up you're, you're chuckling away at yourself, no, Kenny. Well, when Fergus said they, they need his I was, a break, I was thinking, Tanahak probably needs a good spa break. <laughs> I'm for about four days. His head must be absolutely spinning with uh, just talk about kind of uh, spinning plates. Like, you know, so many issues there, individual uh, form players. I'd be interested in asking Fergus, like, how he sees the, like, the Marcus Rashford situation, what's mm. going on there. And I'm talking about what's going, going on between these kids' ears. Because he looks mm. a shadow. Yeah, well, we've seen this before, peaks and troughs, haven't we? He disappeared for a period of time at Manchester. I thought it was, we all thought his Manchester United career was over. Bounced back last year, Fergal. He was back. Yeah. You know, he's back. They almost built the team around him going forward. And all of a sudden, it, it's almost like an imposter has stepped onto the mm. pitch this season. That was probably symptomatic the other night, the red card as well. And what, what's the talk yeah. around Manchester about uh, is there Is there issues there we're kind of unaware of? Because it's it's amazing really looking at the player he just it looks there's the body language the, everything 
you know, looks wrong at the moment. And they need him. They need him to be leading that team. That's why he got his new contract, 300,000 a week. Yeah. He was meant to be a leader to drive that team. And all of a sudden, he's looking almost a hindrance. I think what we're seeing with Rashford is, is ultimately why he, he's probably that level below the best strikers in the Premier League and the best strikers across Europe. Because it is about fits and starts and it's about form with him. When everything's going well, when he's in form, when United are playing well, he gets the goals, he hits a hot streak and and things start to flow. I, th- I think what we're seeing now at United, not just Rashford, it'd be very unfair just to, to throw this on his shoulders. There's been rightful criticism thrown at Bruno Fernandes and, and one or two others as well. We're seeing a situation whereby in the past, certain United players would have stepped up in this type of situation that have scored a goal that have produced a performance that would have got a result that would have maybe eased the tension a little bit Marcus Rashford doesn't seem capable of that he is very talented he is important to Manchester United and and he's a big part of what Eric Ten Hag wants to do but I think we're seeing the level that he's at he's a very very good player and he's he's a capable Premier League striker but for me he's not a leading Premier League striker Mm. when you look at not just Haaland but and obviously Kane's left now and gone to Bayern Munich but you look at that regularity that Harry Kane was able to score goals with Tottenham despite the fact that they didn't win a major trophy with him in the team they knew that season upon season he would get double figures or 20 plus in the Premier League they knew that regularity was there no matter what the situation was at Tottenham um, Tottenham Hotspur that just is not the case with Marcus Rashford. I don't think there's necessarily deeper lying issues. I know obviously there was a story about the, the birthday party and Ten Hag was annoyed about that. I, I don't think there's a there's a kind of disconnect between manager and player. I think that's just an example of Eric Ten Hag feeling, feeling the heat a little bit and maybe just reacting to a question in a press conference a bit more aggressively than he would normally. Um, but I think ultimately, even when Marcus Rashford gets back to form, which he will at some stage, this is where we are with Marcus Rashford. He, he's not going to be a player that scores the goals that gets United a, a Premier League title, in, in, in my opinion. Uh, that's a worry. Yeah, I, mm. I, I understand what Fergal's saying, but how can you build Manchester? How can you build a team to challenge for trophies and for league titles? And you can't hang your hat on a player week in, week out in terms of level of performance at a big club like Manchester United. Yeah. That's the big worry. How many of them has he got in the team at the moment? Like eight out of ten performances every week. You know, Marcus Rashford was one of them last, last season, wasn't he? This season, you're really struggling, and that's the worry from, like I'm saying. Uh, for Ten Hag looking around the pitch Set, players coming back from injury Luke Shaw I'm a big fan of I think he'll help uh, Martinez to a smaller extent although he didn't have a good start to the season fair, did he Martinez his form dropped off a clip as well as well. Bit, bit like Marcus Rashford before, before that injury so that's what I'm saying spa break uh, for Ten Hag at the, at the very least at the very least final one on, on the football you're on no spa break this weekend you're on the telly tomorrow Kenny doing a bit of Arsenal Burnley in the Premier League as well will that be a bit more competitive than most people think or it's going to be one-sided no I'm not too sure like I said I think it has to be a reaction from Arsenal after disappointment last week saw a bit of it against Sevilla uh, midweek I expect to see more of the same and expect expect to see a comprehensive uh, Arsenal victory ok well enjoy that and enjoy the cup final on Sunday should be a great goes occasion goes without saying Fergal Brennan Kenny Cunningham thank you both very very much we are going to chat boxing after break so stay with us here RTE 2FM Game on. Boxing. 
Now, you're very welcome back to Game On. Journalist Kevin Byrne joins us now to chat boxing because the 2024 National League Championship finals are coming to a crescendo this weekend due to the Olympic Games in Paris uh, next year. The competition for 2024 has been brought forward uh, with the remaining semi-finals set for uh, tonight. The finals are tomorrow. So a nice open-ended question for you, Kevin, to start off with. What are you most looking forward to? Um, well, the, the semi-final kickoff tonight, and uh, some of the, some, there's some great fights there. But I, I guess tomorrow, like, the, what am I looking forward to most tomorrow? Like in the finals night, I guess just three are picked out, um, and these are in Olympic weights, you know, which are like to be decided for Olympic places on the team. So the, the stakes are the highest. There are three mm-hmm. female fights, uh, which are you know, which are going down. To, so there's Jennifer Lahan versus Neve Fay at 54 kilos, down down one at 50 kilos. Uh, Shannon Sweeney against Dana Morehouse. And at 66 kilos, uh, Christina Desmond against Grania Watt. Uh, you know, all these play, all these are, you know, they're going to be important for for places on the Olympic team next year. So I think that those are some of the, the crackers that we're looking forward to tomorrow. I think maybe the fight of the weekend is probably the very first fight tonight. It's a semi final between uh, Jude Gallagher, uh, the reigning Commonwealth featherweight champion, and Dylan Eagleson, the reigning uh, Commonwealth bantamweight champion. So they're they're clashing they're clashing at featherweight. And it's only a semi-final. One of the, only one gets through to tomorrow's final, um, and that's kind of for supremacy at fifty-seven kilos. So that's that's a great way to kick off the weekend. Absolutely, two I suppose boxers that are, are genuine rising stars in in Irish boxing. Yeah, Gallagher's been around for a while. Like he's like these are still kids. Like they're still in their you know teens or early twenties. Like Jude Gallagher won his first um, elite champion elite title in twenty nineteen. Uh, Dylan Eagleton only won his first one last year. He just kind of came from nowhere. Got to the European final, then went on to win the Commonwealth. He uh, he won the bantamweight title earlier on this year, and they felt that he was maybe a little too small to step up to featherweight, but they've done it now. They stepped up to featherweight. Last week, he took out the reigning champion, Paul Lunham from Offaly, uh, beat him. So now he's got Jude Gallagher, and tomorrow he's going to face the winner of the other semi-final, Davy Joyce, who's the current lightweight champion, or Adam Hessian, who's a two-time elite champion as well, and until this year was the main man at featherweight. So anyone who gets out of featherweight in Ireland has already beaten two or three world-class opponents. So that's, that's for me, the most exciting way by by a distance uh, featherweight this year on on Eagleson Gallagher who do you feel is going to come out, the, out on top the more aggressive Gallagher or kind of the, the brash stylist that is Eagleson <laughs> it's tough it's tough I think um, like Eagleson really turned my head last year when he come through like when he came through I've been impressed by Gallagher his whole way and particularly so when he went to the Commonwealth Games you know because like you say he has that aggression and I know uh He's working very closely with Eric Donovan, you know, retired former professional and standout amateur. Won this tournament five times and, you know, European bronze medal and bowed out last year as a, you know, European Union champion. Gallagher works very closely with uh, with Donovan, almost like one of his grown-up sons. They train together, they spar together, they do everything together. And Gallagher's a coming force. But Eagleson, like son of uh, two-time Olympian Phil Sutcliffe from Dublin, um, you know, two-time European medalist as well. Eagleson's so brash, so cocky. He's got every trick in the book, and if he can, if he can last as a featherweight with the more physical forces, he's going to be coming up against. I think he's a world beater. You know, I think he's a potential uh, Olympic podium finisher, and uh, possibly even Olympic gold medalist. Who, who knows? I don't like hype up too much. That sounds like an awful lot of hype, but these are these are world class. Uh, these are world class kids coming through. So. I'd probably back Eagleton to win it outright, but at the same time, in the other, on the other side of the draw, Davy Joyce, uh, 60 kilo champion from earlier this year, 
was probably one of the right could have been the, the fighter of the tournament I think that went to Dean Walsh who's also in action this evening but um, but Davy Joyce the force we reckon with real cool customer going to take an awful massive effort to beat him whoever gets him tomorrow but Adam Hessian could have his number tonight so it's you know it, this is a very difficult one to call I think 57 kilos for sure yeah Eagleson of course um, knocked out the, the, well not knocked out eliminated uh, the reigning champ Paul Luna in, in the quarter mm-hmm. it, it's mad though 24 hours later these like two of these boxers are going to be in a final like to, to recover and go again it's it's mad stuff it is and I suppose that's what's expected of them all at um at major tournaments like they go away to European or World Championships and you're talking about maybe five fights in seven days to get to the final uh, so it's, it's it's action packed every day maybe you get a rest day if you get as far as the final you might get a rest day after the semi-final and maybe one in midweek but yeah that's what these boxers in the amateur tournaments have to do they now it's it's three rounds, three minutes per round, and they they have to go full gun. But it's it's not as grueling, I suppose, as a professional boxing contest. Even though it's a sprint versus a you know a, a longer duration, slower paced professional fight. Uh, but yeah, they have to put it all in, and it's definitely a lot to ask. I think to have the fighting, to have the fights, uh, semi-finals on one night and a final the following night. It, it's a grueling tournament. This one, even even for spectators, tomorrow night at the finals, it's twenty bouts taking place. You know what I mean? It's. Uh, it's an awful lot. You know, you go in for the first bout of five and if you stay till the end, you're, you're not out till half eleven. It takes it takes a lot longer than going to your average football match, for sure. Yeah, you have to be committed. You have to be committed. Yeah. Um, what else should we be looking forward to then? Uh, Eamon Ty and Wayne Rafferty, a bit of a senior sparkle to the elites and also Dawson. Um, it, 80 kilos is yeah. another one that uh, this evening, which has caught me attention. Like you're looking at Gabriel Dawson, he was the European champion last year, 75 kilos middleweight. He's had his uh, he's had his troubles outside of the ring, troubles with the law and stuff like that. And he's he served a ban from the IBA, but he's back now, and um, he's back and he's he has, he's had to step up from middleweight to light heavyweight because middleweight has been taken out of the Olympics. It's it's crazy. Like the, when you think of the fighters that have graduated out of Ireland, Olympian, you know, Andy Lee went to the Olympics for Ireland, and we've had some great Olympi- uh we've had some great amateur middleweight mm. since but that's no longer an Olympic weight so Dawkins had to step up to uh, light heavyweight he's fighting a guy who's back from America I believe uh, boxing for Drimner called Sean O'Braddock Sean Brady um, he's back from America won golden gloves and all his championships over there and then in the corresponding semi-final it's a rerun of the final from earlier on this year so you've got Jason Clancy the brother of Olympic qualified uh, uh, light welterweight Dean Clancy so Jason Clancy is rematching Keelan Cassidy from Waterford who beat him earlier on this year in the final and I, th- like, I think the rise of Keelan Cassidy has been really impressive as well he's the, he's the holder at 80 kilos you know he's uh, he lost in the European Games quarterfinals to the possibly the best in the world at his weight, uh, the Ukrainian, Kizniak. He's going for his third elite title here. He can punch, he can box, he's improving with every with every fight. But if the most likely scenario takes place and Dawson wins tonight and Keelan Cassidy wins tonight, they'll fight in the final tomorrow and they are best friends. They're like brothers, you know, they they're they're the best of mates and uh, you know, that's that's the way they speak about their relationship. So that's gonna be interesting as well. And we've seen that you know many times before at the national championships because these lads kind of spar together around the same weight so they hang around together they become familiar but yeah Cassidy and Dawson are the best of friends I think they're going to be fighting tomorrow and I don't know who's going to win that one because like I say I've been impressed by Cassidy's rise but at the same time Dawson last year middle European middleweight champion tremendous boxer generational talent really um, so that's going to be fairly interesting as well tonight we've got uh, Jack Marley in action but that, uh, that's one of the weights 
it's not really as important, I guess you'd say, because he's already qualified for the Olympics. So okay. mm. tomorrow night, basically, you've got uh, 20 finals, but it's in eight of them where the mo- where most of the interest will be taking place because those are the remaining uh, slots for Olympic qualification. So the winners of those eight finals, um, you'd imagine, will be in pole position. So for women, that's 50 kilos, 54 and 66. For men, it's 51, 57, 71, light middleweight, 80 and a super heavyweight 92 plus so of the of the 20 finals 8 will be the, mo- the most important or the most interesting but there are some kind of additional news lines um, Kelly Harrington and Michaela Walsh have already qualified for Paris 2024 Harrington will of course be um, defending her Olympic title from Tokyo 2020 um, but both of them are looking to win their 11th national elite title which would be a record I think um, it's it's actually unclear from the National League Championships uh, schedule who's in the ring first, so who's going to accomplish the feat first if they are successful on the night. But I think it's, I think Harrington's in first, so she's the one who, if she beats uh, Zara Breslin of Tremor, which is a rerun of the final from earlier on this year, which Harrington won, she'll win her 11th title and overtake uh, Kenneth Egan and uh, Jim O'Sullivan from County Wexford as well. So that's a little bit of history for Kelly Harrington as well. She's achieved enough history so far, but she's got another little bit to go. And uh, obviously, Michaela Walsh, she'd be successful against uh, Dublin's Kelly McLaughlin. So, yeah, I think that's another, another thing to watch out for tomorrow. This is what we want. You're, you're giving out there's too, man, too many matches. It's like the, the quality is just brilliant. Mm. It's brilliant. I suppose, like, final question then, I suppose, uh, Kevin. Like, general terms, you're going through all these names, the kind of household names, people coming through as well. Is Irish boxing in, in a good place? I think the talent coming through, you know, there's there's different, there's, di- there's different thought Focusing on the fighters, on the actual, on, on the people um, and, the, and the natural talent and skill that is coming through up, up the ranks. Yeah, like, I mean, there's, there's certain gaps in certain ways. So I, won't, uh, I won't name, you know, places where I feel it's weaker. And obviously we're talking about weight divisions that have been stacked. So at 57, we've got fighters have come up from 54 and down from 60 so some of those weights are extraordinarily talented leaving kind of maybe a lack of talent at, at certain other ones but absolutely there are dozens of talented fighters coming through in Ireland it, the, the problems are with like retention and the problems are with um, you know nurturing them from being talented 16, 17, 18 year olds into kind of fully you know fully operational 22, 23 year olds can they be retained is the talent coming through the talent's always coming through in Ireland yeah absolutely and you look at you look at the professionals, even the, the amount of people who've turned over that are aged 22 to 25, there's, an, there's a real number of fighters with a lot of talent there. Who knows how far they'll go, but certainly the talent keeps coming through for sure, yeah. So I'd say Irish boxing is, is yeah, most likely in a good place. And, like, why wouldn't it be, I suppose, when, you know, the, the explosion, we all talked about the explosion of talent that would be following role models like Michael Conlon, Katie Taylor over the last few years. And you are seeing it. You know, they have inspired kids to come through. Uh, Joe Ward, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know it, they are coming through for sure. Okay, Kevin Byrne, boxing journalist with the Irish Sun. Thank you very much uh, for teeing us up nicely for the National Elite Championship Finals. Game on, racing. But it is time to chat racing now with Jane Mangan. And Jane, let us start with Down Royal. And before we preview uh, tomorrow's contest that, of course, are live on RT One Television from ten past one, let us talk about today because Gordon Elliott had half a dozen winners. 
He did. He had six of the seven winners on the card. It's a feat that he's achieved before at Navan, but even in the race he didn't, he managed to finish third. So, Ben Royal has been very kind to Gordon Elliott in the past. It's a record in itself for him, and uh, he often brings his big guns here. And dare I say it, Shane, his best is yet to come tomorrow. Best is yet to come tomorrow. Well, that leads us on to tomorrow. Live in RT1, as I've said, Jane, what should we be looking forward to? Well, the Cato Star, the Grade 1 Labrooks Champion Chase, has attracted just four runners, and a lot of listeners will be thinking, oh, that's a small field. Well, wait till I talk about the next race. <laughs> but it is a quality uh, quartet. Manila Indo, the uh, 2021 Gold Cup winner at Cheltenham, Albert Bartlett winner as well, conflated last year's Irish Gold Cup winner, Envoy Lynn, the horse who's won eight Grade 1s and has unbeaten in four runs at Down Royal, they're a quality trio, but they're not top of the market. Jerry Colombe, the horse who was a brilliant novice last year, he won in facile fashion at Aintree, but he did get beaten in the uh, in the Brown Advisory by the Real Whacker. He looks like potentially a really good horse, and Gordon Elliott's suggesting that he may well be a Gold Cup horse of the future. If he's going to be winning Gold Cups, he may well be going close in this tomorrow. Okay. This is a race that has attracted the likes of, I think, Cato Star won it twice, Beefer Salmon won it, uh, Gordon's won it a couple of times I think he's won it four times he he actually won it with Don Cossack back in 2015 that's the kind of horse he likes to run in this race but Envoy Alain won the race last year Henry de Bramhead versus Gordon Elliott they have two runners apiece and I think you'd be brave to pick the winner confidently in it at this stage Okay, okay um, that is at 20 past two uh, you mentioned that it's only a four horse race but they're four big big names the grade two, racingtv.com, free trial chase, uh, then is a smaller field, but hopefully just as much excitement. Yeah, I won't lie, Shane. I'm a little bit disappointed. So there was initially three declared. There's now two running. It's a match race because Farinilli, Emmett Mullins' runner, is now an on-runner, leaving Visionarian to take on Ashtree Meadow. There's a five pounds between them on official ratings, although Visionarian has to give Ashtree Meadow three pounds. Listeners might remember the name Ashtree Meadow because he's the horse that made all the running in the Galway Plate over the summer. He's a forward-going horse and he is another contender for Gordon Elliott who won the race last year with Fury Road. But Visionarian's no back number. Keith Donoghue and Peter Fahey. Keith's riding the crest of a wave at the moment, namely for his uh, principal trainer, Gavin. Cromwell and he is a good horse but it's going to be a game of cat and mouse between the pair of them for such a prestigious prize and a valuable prize it's a pity this race hasn't attracted more runners but maybe it's just that stage of the year where horses only starting their seasons and some of the big guns are yet to really fire Okay, well, as I mentioned, that's live on RT1 television and detailed coverage across uh, Saturday Sport and RTE Radio 1. Uh, Jane, it's not often we get to speak about Wincanton, uh, but there's an Irish runner in a Grade 2 contest there tomorrow. There is indeed. The 150 is a Grade 2 novice chase, and it's worth mentioning Captain Conby. He's quite a useful horse for Dusty Sheehy. Tom Bellamy takes the ride this time. He was no match for Sharjah Tipperary back in October, and before that he beat Great Bear winning his novice uh, at Killarney. Uh, he ran in the Galway Hurdle. He didn't quite get home, but I think this is a good good position for him. It's two and a half miles. He's taking on Nappers Hill. Nappers Hill, Paul Nichols, he'll be, he'll be your favourite. But I'd say Captain Conby might be an interesting contender and considering how competitive the races are in Ireland, it'll be interesting to see how he compares with one of the champion trainers, better horses in Napper's Hill. Okay, and sticking with Irish interest, we have an Irish runner of the National Fences at Aintree as well. We do. The Grand Sefton is often... uh, A a, a horse will be set towards the Aintree Fences maybe in, in... 
April. The Grand National is often a target, a long-term target for horses. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Gilligan family were thinking that way with Born by the Sea. He was uh, down the field in the Kerry National at Listole. He didn't quite make an impact at Galway last time. But he's a very good jumper and Philip Enright's taking the ride against the likes of fantastic lady Nassalem and last year's uh, winner Jess Keel. Um, last year's winner or last year's second? He, he's run over the fences before anyway, Jess Keel. He's got good um, experience over the Evergreens. But it's always fascinating to watch that race. And if you can get any pointers for next April, I'm sure a lot of the notebooks will be out. Okay, will be interesting to see. Jane, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, best of luck and enjoy Down Royal uh, tomorrow. That is all we have time for. A big thanks to John Farrell, um, who produced this evening's show. Thanks to Brian as well. Thanks to you for listening. Any Bohemians and St. Pat's fans, including our producer John Farrell, enjoy Sunday. It is a great occasion and best of luck to both teams and all the fans that attend. Up next is the official chart show, so do stay tuned to 2FM. But for now, from all of the game on team, it is good night. 2FM.